join Brother Earl Kirby in saying that we're glad that you're here this morning. We have those that are visiting with us. We appreciate your presence here today. We want to invite all to come every night of our gospel meeting. Come and bring someone with you. It seems almost redundant for me to introduce Travis Connor to you since about seven years ago I stood back there and he introduced you to me. And, but Brother Travis Connor is from Chevrolet, Tennessee now. He left here a smaller preacher than he is now, like I'm a little larger, I guess, too. He gave me the seniors a couple of years ago at camp, and I haven't got him back for that yet, but sometime during the meeting I'll find opportunity to take care of that. I started to say that he was going to do me a favor this year and let me have the little boys, but he won't do that. But I do him a favor every year, and since he gave me the seniors, I get over there and play like I'm one of them. We all step all night. We're glad to have Travis with us during this series of gospel meetings and appreciate greatly the work that he does with young people and older people alike and his faithfulness to the book. Let's say thank you to Don. We have certainly learned to love and appreciate his good family down through the years. I remember several years ago living in Talladega and going over to Jackson, Mississippi to see Alabama play football, coming back on a Sunday morning, stopped by Livingston. You remember that far back, Don? And I wondered, who is a country boy preacher? And uh, we've come a long way that way. But uh, we just fell in love with the family. <clears throat> that time on, I heard that, you know, somebody in the family is from Munford, I think, Don even claims to be from Munford, just because his mother was. But, uh, boy, you think that the next thing next to heaven, if you came from Munford, Alabama, because Franklin Camp did, I guess, uh, the reason. But uh, there have been some good things to come out of Munford. It's certainly a pleasure to be able to stand here again. We... You know, as preachers, we always get a little puffed up and, boy, think we're something special if we've been asked back to a place where we once preached to hold a gospel meeting. But then, at the same time, we have to think of the sobering responsibility that we have laid upon our shoulders to preach the gospel, to recognize that that's what it's all about, Forget about the person, forget about personalities, to realize our responsibilities. One more thing about Don, and I know why I'm here, and I know at the same time why sometimes we preachers are not asked back to the place where we preach once before. And that's because of jealousy among those of us that are preachers. You know that? Yes, sir. There is some of that that exists in the brotherhood. The preacher that is there now doesn't want someone that's been there in the past coming back 
and filling that same pulpit. And I think that's enough said. And that tells you something about the character of Don Merle. Oh, good to see all the familiar faces. Now, do as we ask you to do in Bible class hour. Come up and tell me who you are, and I'll tell you who I am. And we'll all get real acquainted right quick, because you, some of you are going to embarrass me. I'm expecting me to remember you by name. Jeff read to us a few minutes ago from 1 Peter chapter 3. We'll focus in upon this passage in just a minute in our study this morning. We find that in the first part of verse 10, Peter speaks of loving life and seeing good days. If we were to give our lesson a title this morning, it would be The Good Life. What is the good life? Ah, if you live in Middle Tennessee, in Bedford County in particular, the walking horse capital of the world, the good life is having that old frame house sitting up on the top of that hill, under the shade tree, with a 1969 on up Cadillac sitting in the garage and as many walking horses as you can have out there in the pasture. Oh, we've learned to appreciate some things from a different standpoint than we used to know about over in Alabama. We thought that you had to have that 1984 Cadillac to enjoy the good life. But we find that some of those people up there, they've gotten a little closer to the earth. They don't care what kind of automobile they might drive. As long as they've got some of those good show horses. And wait till the week before Labor Day and everybody comes out. They bring those show horses prancing before the crowd. That's enjoyable. Oh, we'd make friends, especially that week, make sure that we'd get to sit with a different family each night in their box. They bring out the biscuits and the country ham, and you sit there, oh, for hours and hours chatting and carrying on and visiting with one another. As you notice the horses every once in a while, prancing by. Well, you know, in this area, it's something else. I look on my den wall now, and I'll, I'll always remember LaGrange, Georgia, that nine-pound bass I caught in that pond down there. And, the, you know, they told me, don't tell where you caught it. I'll always remember LaGrange. Steve Jenkins called me February the 22nd after I'd moved up here. Let's go fishing, or the night before. Boy, it's too cold. He said, we can catch some bass. No, 
Brother Meacham tells me you can't catch those things. You can see them. He said, yeah, you can. He said, I'll get you in the morning at 6 o'clock. Caught the biggest bass ever caught in my life. Had to put him on the wall. That's living, we think. So now note. Peter says that there's something else that is involved in the good line. We're going to see good days. It says, let him refrain his tongue from evil, his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue. Oh, we can name all of these different things. People look at things from different ways. People in Middle Tennessee think of this as the good life. In LaGrange, Georgia, we think of something else as the good life. While to some this is the good life, to others it's not. But friends, we find something here in 1 Peter 3, 10 and 11 that we can all focus in upon. We have to agree that there's not any if, there's not any maybe about this thing. Peter says here is exactly what is involved if a man is going to live that good life. Note then he enumerates these things here. Peter knew what he was talking about. Uh, he is quoting from Psalms 34, verses 12 through 14. There wasn't any doubt in his mind. He's saying this is true in the first century. This will be true in the 20th century. You might like some other things, but when it really comes down to living, let me tell you what's involved in the good life. We'll break it down. Notice, first of all, in the tenth verse again, he says to let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no God. A person's speech can determine whether he enjoys the good life or not. Think about how many days have been ruined because somebody said something they shouldn't have said. Those of you that have brought children into the world and tried to bring them up, tried to travel with them in the automobile, you know what we're talking about here. I can remember those days. One of the boys would say something. It wasn't anything out of the way, but then maybe I'd react to it. I'd come back and snap something would be said that shouldn't be said, and then Benita would say something that shouldn't be said, and here we were. We'd drive a hundred miles then, and everybody, everybody's afraid to speak up again. Oh, we'd go and endure. But the day had been ruined because somebody said something they shouldn't have said. Well, that's during the days everybody's going around with the happy faces, you know. Finally, she got a hold of one, didn't tell us about it. She put it on the reverse side of the sun visor. The next time we got in the automobile, here we went. And she flapped that sun visor down and... That did it. 
we all smile. A different situation from then on. You know, this is true in the home, isn't it? There are divorces that are taking place today. And if you were to get right down to the heart of the matter, it might go back to the time that somebody had the slip of the tongue, came forth and said something that they shouldn't have said. How many times do we find that these family arguments develop? And about nine times out of ten, it'll be the wife that will come back and she would say, Well, now then, everything would have been all right if you hadn't gone over here and told him about it. And that's true, isn't it? Well, I know after I graduated from the University of Alabama, moving back to Gadsden, Alabama, living next door to Philip Black, the preacher, we used to go over just about every night of the week after they got their children in bed. We didn't have any. And we'd chat and play rook. Philip and I would delight in humiliating our wife. And without fail, we'd get home and beneath us say, Well, now, why did you have to tell him that? You know, after a while, these things come home, don't they? You recognize what you're causing. Oh, it's all done in fun, someone says. But sometimes there are just those things that are better unsaid. We don't need to try to humiliate somebody else. Think that we can build ourselves up in doing this thing. Sometimes just one word, it leads to another, and then there comes the eventual breakdown. I'm convinced that Peter's telling us here that man's not going to be able to enjoy the good life if he's not able to control his tongue. Note back in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31-32, Paul says to let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Well, we find that verse 32 says something about attitude, doesn't it? Being kind and tender-hearted and forgiving if we have this attitude, then we'll be careful of how we treat our fellow man, what we might have to say about him. As we've heard it said so many times, if we can't say something good about somebody, then don't say anything. That's exactly what Paul is saying here, isn't it? Why, sure, he's focusing in upon attitude. And then there's one other thing that is involved here. I'm convinced that profanity spoils the good life for so many. I continue to be amazed at what we find in the church of our Lord today. 
Oh, someone told me when you move into Middle Tennessee, the church is so strong. And it is, to a certain extent. Shelbyville, Tennessee, probably not a third as large as LaGrange, Georgia. There are two congregations there that one regularly has over 400 in attendance and the other 300 besides all the other congregations in and around town, some 20 in the county. Yes, it appears to be strong. We have Gothpro there in the congregation. He came to me just a few weeks ago and he said, Travis, this man is a deacon in the church out here at Bedford. And to hear him say what he said. Profanity. And it's a common thing in the church of our Lord today. James chapter 3 at verse 10, James said, Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. There are certain things in action, but yes, there are certain things in speech that are not to characterize the child of God. We're supposed to let people know what we are, not what we would hope that they would think that we are, but really what we are by the way that we talk. So a person's speech can determine whether he has a good life or not. Then in addition to this, note next of all in verse 11, he says to let him askew evil by a person turning their back upon evil. They can then enjoy the good life. Note here he uses the word askew. I was listening this morning and heard Jim Mankin on the Amazing Grace Bible class focusing in upon this one verse. The matter of eschewing evil. Ah, here's a word we don't use much today, but it simply means to shun it, to turn from it, to treat it just like we would a plague or a disease. Not going to have anything to do with it. That's what he means. Ah, these young people. We were driving through North Alabama yesterday and we saw out at the high school young ladies dressed their best. Young men with their tucks on. Yeah, know what's going on there tonight. I thought it was a little late for the prom. You know, we always come back. Well, I think that I'll go this year. It's my senior year, and I'll never be a senior again. Oh, I'm not going to dance. I just want to go to see what it's all about. 
I can tell you what it's all about as I've stayed in contact with young people down through the years. And it's getting worse and worse and worse up in our area and everywhere else now. They have to call out the police when they're getting ready to have it. They know what's going to take place. It gets, uh, gets to be a drunken brawl just about everywhere you go now. It's not good enough just to have chaperone. Peter's saying here, there are some things we're to run away from. We're to recognize there are some things that a Christian cannot do. There are some places that a Christian cannot go when we know ahead of time what's going to take place there. He says to shun it. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 22 Abstain from all appearance of evil. Second Timothy chapter two verse twenty-two. Paul said to flee also youthful lust. Ah, this is the excuse. I'll be a senior one time. I'm just going to be young one time. Paul says that there are certain things that appeal to young people and to young people alone. It doesn't do any good for a 45-year-old to stand up and say, I'm not tempted with that. Paul says there are some things that teenager's tempted with, and, oh man, there are some things you're tempted with, too. In either situation, he says to flee from those things, to abstain from the very appearance of evil. Think how inspired history would be different if some had been able to shun the evil. Think of the life of David. Well, that's a beautiful story that we have in the Bible, but if he had been able to shun the very act of adultery itself, it'd be a different story that we have. Somebody says, well, you know, a man after God's own heart, what else can you say? And that's true. We find that David repented, made every retribution that could be made. There's no way of getting around it. There's still that blot, isn't it? God doesn't give us the advantage through the pages of inspiration of knowing about these things in David's life so that we might put David down. But to know that if we do not turn our backs upon sin and go in the other direction, that we might not be the spiritual giant that this man was, consequences might be much greater. David still had to suffer enough, didn't he? Surely he did. If Judas had been able to turn and go in the other direction, to flee the temptation, would be a different story that we have. There's not any person that ever engages in sin without putting a blemish 
upon the good life. There's just not any way of escaping it. We can repent. We can turn. There'll be the blemish. No next of all here in verse 11. Not only does he say eschew evil, but in addition to that, to do good. Not just to leave off the evil, that's not enough. But to do good. Ah, there was one that was very close to our family years ago that passed away from this life. He had had a problem with alcohol down through the years. Why, for appearance sake, no one ever thought that he even tried to do what was right. But then after he passed away, found this scribbling in the top dresser drawer. Down through all the years that he had come to the point that he was determined that he was going to do what was right. And he had begun writing about that period of time in his life. Sometimes these things hardly made sense. But we find just about every time that we would pinpoint these things that as he was trying to write and correct his life, convince himself that he could correct it. And what he was trying to say was simply this. It's not going to be enough for me to quit drinking. I'm going to have to find that which is good to occupy that vacuum that is going to be created in my life when I give up the bottle. How true this is. Peter's saying here that, now there are some of these things that we can say don't do. Don't do this and don't do that. But then on the other hand, as we've heard some of our brethren telling us sometimes, don't just talk about the negative, tell us some positive things. And there are some that go to the extreme in that direction. That's what Peter's saying here, isn't it? Oh, yes, let's don't dwell upon the negative all the time, but let us understand. Not enough just to give up some things, to quit some things, if we're going to really and truly enjoy the good life, there are some things that we're going to have to do. Isn't this the problem young people have today? We finally convince them it's wrong for them to go over here and do this, and it's wrong for them to go over here and do that. You can't do that, son. Well, then, Mother, what can I do? And that's when we come to wit's end sometime, isn't it? But we have to understand. Yes, they have to have something to do. What can they do? We read in the book of Job. You'll find one there that he shunned evil. Think of the way that he stood. Even coming to the point that it seemed like his own wife was turning against him. 
But I'll tell you, friends, one reason that he was able to stand in the way that he stood was not just the fact that he shunned the evil, but we find in that book it abounds with his doing good. There's the answer. Ah, these mothers today, we want their, we want to make sure that our children are able to get up, wait on the table, leave the singing, make the announcements if they can. These things are good. This is only the beginning, isn't it? We find that the Christian life goes beyond the walls of this church building. We need to get our young people involved in things where they can grow spiritually. One then must not just be opposed to evil, as surely they must. We find that all of us as Christians must also be a supporter of that which is good. Galatians chapter 6 at verse 10 Paul said, As we therefore have opportunity, let us do good on, unto all men, especially those of the household of faith. Our oh, eyes opened uh, right after moving to Shelbyville. The secretary there came to us and said, Now then, you've got to write a letter here. Let me get it tapped up for you, a form letter, and I'll let you sign them all. What for? Well, I want you to wish all these people out here at the nursing home happy birthday, and we'll send them the letter on your birth on their birthday. And then there was another letter that was tapped up for all those people in the hospital that were sick. Just a form letter, but wish that you'd go well uh, soon, and we go visit. One of the good sisters came one day and said, Brother Connor, I want you to go to the nursing home with me. And so we went with her to the nursing home, and these ladies, they make the rounds four and five times a week. As we call them, those sweet little old ladies. They don't like that old part. But I would go in this room, and here would be this Lady, she just light up when she finds Travis Connor. Preacher of Southside Church Christ. You're the one who sent me that sweet letter the other day. Yeah, I did. <laughs> Secretary mailed it to her. Boy, she thought it was personal from me. She couldn't tell it to run off on the copy machine. And I just signed it. Those ladies sit down, they work hours after hours after hours. They don't go and buy Hallmark cards, but they take cards that have been sent by somebody else and they'll cut them apart. They'll do artwork themselves and make their own cards. And they send them to these people in the hospital and in the nursing home. And that embarrasses them when you get up and say anything about it before the congregation. Now that's where it is, is doing things of this nature. All we think about this when we find what Paul was talking about when he said to be ready under every good work 
Titus chapter 3 at verse 1. We have the perfect pattern in our Lord himself. He's described in Acts chapter 10 at verse 38, one who went about doing good. Where's the life that surpassed his when it comes to the good life? There's the answer. One about doing good. But finally, note here in 1 Peter 3, verse 11, he says to let him seek peace and ensue it. Friends, the good life cannot be in the midst of strife and turmoil. Just not any way. Here's one thing that God's people need to recognize today. And that is the importance of looking for things that will improve the peace and harmony among God's people. Note here. Peter said to seek peace, but he said, ensue it. He was saying here you need to really go after it. To be one that is a peacemaker instead of a peace breaker. John chapter 14 at verse 27, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you, with you. my peace I leave with you. Unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. You're saying it's not what the world's talking about. When I say that I leave my peace with you. Several years ago, right after I'd moved to Talladega, the church had had great problems there. I just didn't know about moving into the situation. Winford Clark had been there for a few months. That, that wasn't what created the problem, but Winford did so much to calm the situation and then recognized too many family folks there, and he moved on back to Decatur. But then coming in, you could hear the ripples on the waves over here and over there. And I asked one of the deacons one day, Dan Brown, now on our board at camp, Dan, what's going to happen here? said, I hear some unrest here and there. Dan said, you don't have a thing in the world to worry about. We've been through it. He said, we have some people here in this congregation that have been through this thing. We know what strife and turmoil and co contention is all about. He says, it's not going to happen again in this congregation. I said, you're pretty sure of yourself. He said, I absolutely am. There are so many of us here that we're determined we're not going to let this thing happen again. You know, I've never heard that before. I've heard those people before say, well, we need to get rid of the elders. Who's ready to sign a petition? Let's run the preacher off. You know, everything takes place to disturb the peace and harmony that might be in the congregation. But where are those people that will say, let us go out there and determine that we're going to have peace and harmony in the local congregation? 
We've had that fuss at home, haven't we? And boy, it'd be rough. But then when it's all over, we decide this is the way that it ought to be. Yes, we realize that this really is where the good life is. And there's peace. After all, what's a child of God to be? A peacemaker. Matthew 5, verse 9. I think we can see then that Peter outlines at least four things for us that are involved here. We're going to be able to see good days. Enjoy the good life. We'll only love these things. Grow to appreciate them as children of God. You here this morning, not a Christian, recognizing the responsibility that you have unto God and the attending opportunities that you have as a result of the death of His Son upon the cross. Never been obedient unto the gospel? Why not today? Be willing to repent of your sins, confess your faith in Christ, and be buried with your Lord in baptism. You may be here as a Christian. There be public sin in your life. This be the case needs to be acknowledged publicly as you come asking for God's forgiveness. Going to sing the song that's been selected. You're subject to heaven's call. Won't you come while we stand inside?